Welcome to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast, where the cross and the culture are on a collision course for discussion. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require signs, the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews a stumbling block, under the Greeks foolishness, but under them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, here's your host, Thomas Irvin. All right, we're going to pick up in Daniel 2 and verse 24. Let's read verses 24 through 36, and then we will jump into some discussions about it. Amen. All right, Daniel 2, verse 24, we'll read verses 24 through 36. Therefore Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had ordained to destroy the wise men of Babylon, He went and said thus unto him, Destroy not the wise men of Babylon, bring me in before the king, and I will show unto the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste, and said thus unto him, I have found a man of the captives of Judah that will make known unto unto the king the interpretation. The king answered and said, Did everybody catch what he just said? Arioch went in and said, I found somebody. Daniel came to Arioch and said, tell the king not to kill anybody. I, I, have, I have the answer. Arioch goes into the king and says, guess what I found? <laughs> I need a reward for this. I just don't make my house a dunghill. All right. Verse, um, verse 26, the king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, art thou able to make known unto me the dream which I have seen and the interpretation thereof? Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king hath demanded, cannot the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers, show unto the king? Now that that's very kind and honest at the same time. This was a good opportunity to rip them apart. And Daniel just simply says, look, these men can't show you what you're looking for. They have sold you this lie. They told you they could. But, what's, but what's, what amazes me is the king keeps them on. <laughs> but you would think after this, you say, I have no need for any of you. You're all dismissed. I'll just keep Daniel and, you know, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. We'll just keep them around. The rest of you can go. But no, he keeps them there, which is, that, that's the vicious cycle we get ourselves into. Um, Verse 28, But there is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets and maketh known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. 
Thy dream and the visions of thy head upon thy bed are these. Now, that, that, it's extremely important, especially with what we talked about last time. As soon as Daniel found out, you're all going to die unless somebody can tell me this dream and tell me the interpretation. Daniel went to his three friends. They all went and prayed to the God of heaven. God gave him the answer, and he immediately, I told you what I would have done. <laughs> I went running straight to the king and then came back and thanked God later. Uh, Daniel immediately, thank you, Lord. You're great. You're wonderful. You, you know all things. You, you, you gave me the answer. He just he takes the time to praise God first. Now he's standing before the king. The king says, Daniel, can you make known to me what I want to know? He says, no, but God can. I just happen to be the person he's going to use to do it. But it is God who's going to give you this information. All right. Now, that's important because in a moment, Nebuchadnezzar is going to fall down at the feet of Daniel. And Daniel's not going to tell him to get up. It's one of the only places in the whole Bible where he doesn't where a man where men fall at the feet of another man to worship them. And they don't say, you know, get up, don't worship me. But Daniel's in a fairly sensitive spot here. (laughs) You're going to tell Nebuchadnezzar to stop doing what he's doing and get up. (laughs) I mean, you just got your life saved. You know, that's just probably not a good thing to do. So, um, but, but there, there are two redeeming ideas here from what's happening when we get to that part, when he falls down at, at Daniel's feet. First of all, Daniel said, it's not me. It's God. There's a God in heaven. It's him that's giving me this answer. All I'm doing, I'm just a mouthpiece giving you the answer. And the second redeeming part is, I mean, you don't tell Nebuchadnezzar what to do. Nebuchadnezzar does what he wants to do. You tell Nebuchadnezzar what to do, you're going to end up right back on the chopping block that you just got removed from. And so, so it's, it's kind of a, a unique situation where everywhere else in the Bible, or at most places, I can't think of anywhere, where, where men fell down to worship one of God's people and they, and they didn't say, no, you don't worship me, stand up. Uh, verse 29, As for thee, O king, thy thoughts came into thy mind upon thy bed, which should come to pass hereafter, and he that revealeth secrets maketh known to thee what shall come to pass. But as for me, this secret is not revealed to me for any wisdom that I have more than any living, but for their sakes that shall make known the interpretation to the king, and that thou mightest know the thoughts of thy, thy heart. Thou, O king, sawest, and behold, a great image... This great image, whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. This image's head was of fine gold, this, the, the, his breast, his arms of silver, his belly and his thighs of brass, his legs of iron, his feet part of iron and part of clay. Thou sawest till that a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet, that were of iron and clay, and break them in pieces to pieces. Then was the iron and clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken to pieces together, and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floor, and the wind carried them away, that no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Now listen to this. This is the dream, and we will tell the interpretation thereof before the king. Then he goes on to give the interpretation, which we'll, we'll, we, we will hopefully get to uh, in the second part tonight. I'm not, I'm not sure how in-depth we'll go here, but 
after he gives them the interpretation, he says, and by the way, it's sure. He's like that. I have no doubt. I have no question. It's exactly what you saw in your dream. And the interpretation is exactly what's going to happen. And, and that's, that's exactly what has happened over the years. Now, there's a couple things to point out. You know, just again, I guess this is part of my charming personality. The king, what did the king see? What does the Bible say that the king saw? An image of what? A what? Again? Does it say that? Now, we have, you know, Larkin's charts are, are excellent. They're great. But at no point did it say it was a man. It just said an image. Now, now, when you listen to the description of the image, there are a few things that would fit the description. So it's not unreasonable to say that it's a man. So what I'm trying to point out to you is that this picture that you have in front of you, this is someone 2,000 years, 3,000 years later using their imagination to come up with something. All right. Now, so you can't take it as though it's, it's the word of God. The, the picture you have in front of you, it's basically a commentary. It's just a commentary in, in art <laughs> instead of a written commentary like, like a normal commentary. All right, now, but, but, when, but what, else, what else has a head, a chest with two arms, you know, and then two legs? I mean, it's, you know, it's not unreasonable to say that it's a man, obviously, or it's, or it's an image of a man or something of that sort. Uh, there are just not many things in the world that fit that description. <laughs> but it doesn't expressly say that. So what Daniel just laid out is from Nebuchadnezzar, until the second coming of Jesus Christ. All right. And so we've talked about it before, but just a quick reminder. So you have you have um, Babylon. All right. That's that's the head. Next is going to be Medo-Persia. And, and we're going to define all this from the Bible repeatedly. This is not my opinion. There, there are two things to keep in mind here. Number one, the Bible says Medo-Persia is going to take Babylon. Now, if you go and you read the history books, which I have done, and I have a ton more to read, it is a historical objective fact. It is undisputable that historically speaking, from secular history, Persia took Babylon. Just like God said they would. All right, so, and and. The, the historical account of how it happened matches Daniel 5. <laughs> it just so happens to, to fit together perfectly. It's interesting how that worked out. Now, the next is who? Who's the next kingdom? Grisha. Once again, not only, is it, not only is it explained biblically in the book of Daniel that Grisha would follow Medo-Persia, but it is a historical fact that Alexander the Great took the Persian Empire. Just as the Bible said. Right? So you don't have to go by opinion. There's, there's, not a, you know, there's not always enough historical information to get a clear idea. But with, we know that Persia took Babylon and we know that Grisha took Persia. Now here, here's a, and, and I'm, gonna, I'm getting ahead of myself, um, but... Here's a key 
two key, here's a key interesting idea about all of these kingdoms that follow each other. God explains, or, or the, the, the way that, that God, it, it, the way that it, it seems in God's mind when, when he says they have become the world power, they have done two things. They have taken Babylon, the city, and Jerusalem, or one or, one or the other, every time. So it's, it's as though Medo-Persia comes in control of the city. Babylon is the country, it's the nation, but it's also the city, that great city. It's, it's a, if you read about Babylon historically, it's an, it's an unbelievable place. You can't, you can't even fathom. They had elevated gardens, floating gardens in Babylon. They just, it, it's, a, it's a place that would defy your imagination, the things that they had accomplished. So when Nebuchadnezzar in you know, chapters 3 and 4 stands out and says, ha, look what I've done. <laughs> look at this wonderful kingdom I have. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's really looking out at something that, it, that was incredible. It wasn't just a... You have a lot of countries today that boast about how wonderful they are and they never accomplished a single thing. <laughs> that wasn't Babylon. Babylon... Babylon was a world power. And then to follow them are the Romans. Now, this is not both historically and biblically, it's not as clear. But, but the, I don't see any other, any other solution. All right, this is why it's not clear historically or biblically. In Daniel, the Lord, the, the, God says himself, Babylon will be taken by Persia. Persia will be taken by Grecia. It never says who's going to take Grecia. It's just, it just so happens the next world power are the Romans in the Bible. Right? Now, historically, the Romans never took Grecia. Grecia fell on its own. And then Rome just kind of gradually took over their territories, including... Jerusalem and Babylon. But Babylon was a, was a mess by then. It was just a, a dust bowl by then, by the time Rome got there. Uh, so it's, it's, while I, I don't see any other solution, I don't see any other, uh, other country or kingdom to point to, um, I, I, I'm confident it's the Romans, and here's another reason why. The Bible lists four kingdoms, and then there are two more kingdoms at the end. So, so there's this space and time. And then down here you have the ten toes, which represent the ten kingdoms. And then you have the stone that, that comes. It was cut without hands. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. All right. So this pause. So the Romans are in control when John the Baptist and Jesus are walking the earth. Jesus Christ is crucified. Now we're done with all this. All this is put on pause until the tribulation. These kings come about in the tribulation. So this pause is the church age. Right about here, you'll have the rapture of the church. The tribulation will begin. All right. And then these kings will will come about and it'll be Jesus Christ who comes back. And puts them down. And that will be an end to what? What is this whole period together called? 
the times of the Gentiles, they must be fulfilled. Oops. That's what this whole period is referring to. Um, at this point, both Israel, the northern kingdom, and Judah, the southern kingdom, which make up the nation of Israel, they're all in captivity. They're all in Gentile in the hands of Gentiles. And so from that point until Jesus Christ comes back, the times of the Gentiles. There, there's nothing else. All right. So England, England and the United Nations can go carve out this space in the Middle East and say, we're going to send the Jews back here and call it Israel. That's great. That, that doesn't mean anything in, in this because we're still in this period right here known as the church age. And so God's, God's dealings with Israel through Gentile nations, it stopped here with the death of Jesus Christ. It'll pick back up here with the ten toes in the tribulation. Does that make sense to everybody? All right. Does that make sense? <laughs> All right. Well, they've heard this a few times, and we'll probably hear it a few times more. As we go, any questions? Daniel lays out the dream for the king with no added commentary. Right, so what, what he lays out in what we just read, he said, this is what you saw. That's it. No interpretation. Here's the dream. You, you saw a head of gold. You saw the chest and arms of silver, the brass, the, the iron, the feet with, with, mingled with iron. And then you saw a stone cut without hands. And, and so he just, tell, he just lays out the dream very simply. Uh, he begins by telling him the facts of the dream. The interpretation would come after telling the king the dream. That's, that's a, in anything you're studying, it's important to do. What you want to do is before you start throwing your opinions into things, lay out the facts. Now that you have all the factual information in order, now you can start generating opinions and ideas. What a lot of people do is they have opinions and ideas and they try to look for facts that they can draw into their opinions and ideas rather than taking their opinions and ideas and comparing them to the facts. And if you get it backwards, you're going to get everything out of order. And what you have is a false narrative instead of instead of truth. And you don't want that. You want truth. So you take what you think, you know, and you set that aside and you lay out here. Here's what it says. Without any conjecture on my part, without any opinion on my part, here's exactly what the information says. Okay, now how does what I think I know fit into this? And if what you think you know doesn't fit into it, then guess what you should do with what you think you know? <laughs> Toss it out the window. Right? If you're going to believe the Bible. Now, if you're going to believe your own opinions, then... You toss the Bible out the window. One will, one will prevail. It'll be one or the other. The question is, do you have enough humility to be able to take what you think you know or what someone taught you or what someone said to you or whatever, whatever it is and compare it to the facts of the word of God and then say, OK, I'm right here, wrong here. You know, you, 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 up, you update and you correct yourself. Um, now, understanding this vision appears to be fundamental 
to understanding the visions that will follow in chapters 7 and 8. And we'll get to that next semester. Uh, We'll probably try to do some sort of comparison between chapter 2 and chapters 7 and 8 when that time comes. Um, It'll be very important. It's important to get this right or the rest of the book will make little sense. All right, so this is your first timeline. It's very basic. It's very simple. We're not given dates. We're not given times. We're not given weeks. We're not given years. Yes, sir. That would be right here. He's coming back. He's going to smash the ten toes, which will smash all the Gentile powers. And he's going to establish his kingdom. So so it's going to fall. So you have the tribulation here. You're going to have the seven years. You know, all, all that's going to take place. But at some point he's coming back and he's going to put down the Gentile powers and then he will immediately establish. In fact, that's what he said in the dream. That stone, after he smashed the Gentile powers, it just filled the earth. That's his kingdom, which he'll explain more in the in the interpretation. All right. Any other questions? No. All right. No problem. Glad we can help. All right, so, so it's important to get this timeline correct. All right, so now, now when you go from Daniel and you start looking at the book of Revelation or you start looking at First and Second Thessalonians, and you start looking at all these things that the Bible lays out referring to the tribulation, the second coming, it, it has to fit this generic timeline. And if it doesn't, then, then you're off. You need to figure out where you're off. Right? And so if it does, then you know you, you've, you're, you're in the right place. Now, we haven't talked about really who any of the, we haven't talked about who these people are. That's probably going to, I'm probably going to lose some of you there. <laughs> As you, you know, that's, there's some standard Baptist teaching on those things, and that's not what I'm going to go over. And then, um, you know, of course, the stone, it's unquestionable, it's Jesus Christ. But I, I, I don't see any, I mean, I have looked at these, these kingdoms, these four kingdoms, every which way I can, and there's no way to put them future. I mean, I mean, he literally says, you're the you're the king, you're the you're the you're the head of gold. So you can't say that's some prophetic future. (laughs) He's saying right now, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, you're the head. All right. So that 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 limits our ability to put this anywhere other than than Babylon, Medo-Persia, Grecia, Rome, because that literally in terms of world powers, that's the way they fell. And then people always ask, well, what about Britain? Britain, you know, the sun never set on Britain's empire. What about America? What about China? Well, they all exist in the church age. So God doesn't care about them. Right now, the kingdom of God is in focus, not the kingdom of heaven. Remember, as soon as, as, soon as John the Baptist came on the scene, the Bible said, from the time of John the Baptist, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence and the violent take it by force. That's the state of the kingdom of heaven. Russia takes Ukraine. Ukraine takes Russia. China takes Taiwan. Taiwan tries not to get taken by China. You know, that, that's, that, whoever's the most violent is going to win. That, that's the state of the world right now. That's the kingdom of heaven. But our focus is the kingdom of God. We preach the gospel. We go out and tell people about Jesus Christ. We try to get their, 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 their souls saved. We try to get them into the body of Christ. And, and we have this time period until the, tribula- until the rapture to get that done. Now, when's the rapture coming? In the twinkling of an eye. It's, it's coming. 
So, so what, is, what should that say about your work ethic? You've got to be ready to work because you don't know when it's going to be over. You better work for the night is coming. Is it, is it certain the night is going to come tonight? <laughs> Absolutely. If it doesn't, then it's some weird anomaly. Even if, it, even if it's brightest day in the middle of the night, it's still nighttime. You know when the night is coming. And so you need to do everything that you can now because the Lord is coming back. The tribulation will begin. And when the Lord comes back and takes the church out of the way, there will be nobody here to preach the gospel of, of, of Jesus Christ. It's over. There is no getting your soul saved and becoming part of the body of Christ. The body of Christ is gone. We will be at the judgment seat of Christ where our works will be tested out. So, so it just all of this points to a group of people who need to be very serious about what they're going to do for the Lord before he gets back. You don't want to be twiddling your thumbs, playing around, half-hearted, and then the Lord show up. It's going to be a, you know that moment when you know you shouldn't be doing what you're doing <laughs> and you get caught? Well, imagine that times about 10 million. <laughs> you know you should be witnessing. You know you should be preaching the gospel. You know you should be concerned about lost souls. You know you should be discipling somebody. You know you should be teaching the Bible, reading the Bible, praying, studying, doing all these great things, and you're not. And then the Lord shows up. That's not going to be a very comforting feeling unless you've been doing all that you can so that when he shows up, you can say or you can at least attempt to say, I did my very best. I gave it my all. I tried as hard as I could. I went as far as I could. Now, he'll ultimately be the judge of that. But but you need to be able to say when when you step from this life to the next, I gave it my all. Not, I wish I would have tried more. I wish I would have given more. I wish I would have done more. That's not, what, that's not where you want to be when this all comes to an end. And it's barreling rapidly to an end. Now, that end might be 2,000 more years. It might be 7,000 more years. It might be in the next hour. Now, I don't mind being called away in the middle of a Bible school class. <laughs> But, you know, you just, you just want to take all that serious. Um, all right. The, word, the term hereafter, where else is that word used? Hmm? Revelation. So what does that term point to? Prophetic events. All right. So, so that, that's a key term in the book of Revelation. Look at Daniel 2, verse 29. Uh, verse 29. As for thee, O king, thy thoughts came into thy mind upon thy bed. What should come to pass hereafter? All right. So again, it's, it's, both, it's both practical and it's prophetic. Because he's literally saying to, to Babylon, here's the starting point. Right here. Now, from the time that I give you this dream, after this is what's going to take place. And, and he begins to lay that out. Look at verse 45, Daniel 2. Verse 45. For as much as thou sawest, the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands. 
and that it break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter. All right, so it's, it's 100% prophetic. Not only is it, is it, not only did it happen at the time when he's telling these events, he's saying this is what's going to happen. So just as God said, now this should increase your faith in this book. This is an incredible book. Before it all happened, and then there's even more to it. You, you, God said Medo-Persia is going to take Babylon, right? And he, and he also said in Isaiah 45, the king of Medo-Persia will be Cyrus. And this is two, three, four hundred years before Cyrus was ever even born. Babylon doesn't even exist yet. And the Lord says, I'm going to raise up a king. He's going to take, he's going to take Babylon, which doesn't exist or barely exists at this point. And then he's going to set my people free and send them back to Jerusalem from captivity. And then it happens exactly like God said it was going to happen. It's both historically factual, which the scoffers hate. <laughs> they wish they could say, huh. no, it didn't happen like that, but it's exactly how it happened. And, and you'll see, even like when I read some of the books that they write, you know, they, they hate God. They, they don't want to admit that God was right and that, that what God said is true and correct. So they'll give you a narrative that fits the biblical narrative exactly, but they'll try to find something that's different from the Bible. Like, but the dirt was red, not brown. <laughs> like, it's just something that they can say, well, God got that wrong. <laughs> like, whatever it might be, whatever it could be, they, they, they will do their best to... To try and do that. So uh, look at Matthew 26 and we'll see again how this unfolds what the word hereafter. And, and so anytime you're reading your Bible and you see God use that word, you need to stop and take a look at what, what he's talking about. Because the hereafter has a practical use as in here, right now. And so we're going to start here and this is what's going to come after. But it also has prophetic use. And, and that is often the, the, the case of the use of the term. Um, Matthew 26 and verse 64. Jesus saith unto him, Thou hast said, Nevertheless, I say unto you, Hereafter shall you see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. All right, so that's, that's obviously referring out to something prophetic. Look at Revelation 1 and... We'll see it again. Grab Revelation 1 and Revelation 4 together, and you'll see the, the connection between the two terms and how the Lord used them to basically help divide up the book of Revelation. What happens in chapter 4? Those of you that remember, what, what's, what's key or what's, what's so fundamental about chapter 4 of Revelation? Don't look at it. You're supposed to know it. It's called up, which is a picture of what? The rapture. Right. So, so all, all this fits, and it, not, not everything we've read so far about the term hereafter fits its use in, in the book of Daniel. All right, so, so it's, gonna, it's ultimately talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Matthew 26, talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ. And here you have Revelation 1, the church called away, and what starts after that? The tribulation, and then eventually leading to the second coming of Jesus Christ. So it all all fits together. Revelation 1, verse 19. And uh, we'll read that real quick. Um, 
if I can find it. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which thou hast, uh, uh, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. Now, that, that verse is fundamental to the book of Revelation because it gives you a natural division to the, way that, to the layout of the book. All right, so if you, if you look at it, write the things which thou hast seen. That's the first division. The Lord talking directly to John, the seven churches, that, that's fundamental to it. And then the things which are, the book literally divides into to things that are, and then it goes immediately into and the things which shall be hereafter, which takes us to chapter 4 um, and verse 1. After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the, fir- and the first voice which I heard was, as it were, a trumpet talking uh, with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. All right, so it lays it all out, and it's, it's very fundamental to prophetic events. All right, now we're going to do a study on an important term that you see often in the Bible and that people have questions about. This, again, is very important, and you want to get this for your own learning and admonition. Come back to Daniel 2. I'm going to give you the two terms, and then we'll, we'll try and demonstrate to you from the Bible what they mean and what to do with them. Uh, because th- there's a lot of confusion about them, and we say a lot of things as Christians. It, you know, so one of the things my pastor taught me that gets us in trouble is, and, and, I'm not, and I don't want to suggest that I have this perfectly right. It, it is my goal when I'm talking about biblical events or biblical ideas, even from a philosophical perspective. When I'm, trying, when I'm talking about something, I want it to, to come from a proper biblical perspective so that it makes sense. Right. I mean, I, I, I think that's probably what we all want. But we, we say things oftentimes that are not technically true according to the Bible. And so my pastor tried to teach us first you get the technical details, the facts. Right. Then you go from there. Then you try and determine how to use certain terms and phrases and ideas according to the word of God from there. Does that make sense? All right. So two terms. The latter days, the last days. People ask all the time, oh, you think we're in the last days? <laughs> well, it depends on what you mean. What, what, what are the last days? You think we're in the latter days? Well, what are the latter days? And, and, and so I'm going I'm to give you this idea ahead of time because I want you to see it as we go through and we look at them. Both terms refer to Israel. They have nothing to do with us. It's specific to Jews. No one else. All right. Another prophetic term in our Bible that refers to events that will come to pass in the latter days. It is an Old Testament term that refers to the time when the Lord Jesus Christ will return to set up his kingdom. All right. Now, that's that is fundamental to it, but it. It always revolves around the Jews or around Israel. All right. It, the, the focus is the second coming. All right. But fundamentally, it's, it's all with reference to Israel. 
All right. And, and so you're going to see in the Old Testament, it's going to be the latter days. And in the New Testament, it's primarily. Now, again, this is one of those things where it's primarily, but not always exclusively. Uh, but primarily in the New Testament, it's going to be the last days. All right. Does that make sense so far? Everybody with me? You are mysteriously quiet. I see brains turning and working. So I want to make sure. All right, since it is primarily mentioned in the Old Testament, the latter days typically refer to some event related to Israel. Look at Daniel 2, verse 28. But there is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets and maketh known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall happen in the latter days. Thy dream and the visions of thy head upon thy bed are these. So then he begins to lay out this dream. Now, what, what, is, what is the... The, the, the primary object of the, G, of the dream. The times of the Gentiles. Okay. Over whom? Israel. All right. So what was supposed to happen is Israel was supposed to be faithful to their God and was supposed to listen to what he said and obey him. And what would happen is they would be the head of the nations. Right? Did they do that? (laughs) No. So now the nations are head over Israel. And they are subject to to the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles comes to an end. All right? So that, that fundamentally is what's happening in this dream. That's what God's laying out. He's telling Nebuchadnezzar, I'm starting with you. You're you're the head. (laughs) You're you're the first one. Uh, But I'm going to take you down. (laughs) Imagine being Daniel and saying... Great king, you're the head of gold. And the king's like, wow, that's great. Uh, but a weaker kingdom's going to come take you out. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> but he told him, diminish not a word. Remember Jeremiah? <laughs> All right, so uh, what is revealed in the dream, it, it outlines the times of the Gentiles. This prophetic series of events comes to an end when the Lord Jesus Christ returns to establish his own kingdom and he crushes those Gentile powers. All right. So the two things they're always going to almost always going to refer to the second coming and Israel. That's that's always the focus of the latter days and the last days. All right. So let's let's keep going. Look at um, look at Deuteronomy 31. Everything that Daniel's telling Nebuchadnezzar is prophesied indirectly in Deuteronomy 31. In verse 29. For I know that after my death, you will utterly corrupt yourselves. Well, praise the Lord. <laughs> what a blessing. I mean, it's just, but it's, it's absolutely true. It's exactly what happened. You will utterly corrupt yourselves and turn aside from the way which I have commanded you and evil will befall you in the latter days because you will do evil in the sight of the Lord and provoke him to anger through the work of your hands. All right. Now you provoke God to anger. What do you get as a result? His wrath. The, the, the tribulation is a time of wrath. It's the time of Jacob's trouble. Right, and then at, immediately at the end of the tribulation, what happens? Jesus Christ returns. All right, so, so the latter days 
Very clearly in Deuteronomy, it's talking about who? Israel. You're going to corrupt yourselves and you're going to bring out the wrath of God. Right? That's, that's basically what the passage says. All right. Now look at, look at um, Daniel chapter 10. Daniel 10 and uh, verse 14. Now I am come to make thee understand what shall befall thy people in the latter days. Now the context here, who's talking? Does anybody know without looking? Quinto, Quinto's cheating. Look at verse 13. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one in twenty days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. All right, so it, this is an angel that's come down to reveal the, this information to Daniel. And what he's telling them is what's going to befall his people. Who are Daniel's people? Israel. All right, now it's, it, you want to be hyper exclusive? It's Judah. But, but I think the context here is going to be the nation of Israel, not, not Judah exclusively. It's, it's, as a matter of fact, this is a direct cross reference to Deuteronomy 31, they, 29. They, they fit together of, of what's going to befall the Jews in the latter days. Okay, so that's, this is all a reference to the latter days and, and what's going to happen to them. All right, now Hosea chapter 3. Hosea 3, and we'll read verses 1 through 5, the whole chapter. This would be a good chapter to memorize. You can go around and say, I memorized Hosea chapter 3. All five verses. Verse 1, Then said the Lord unto me, Go yet, love a woman, beloved of her friend, yet an adulteress. Well, how would you like to get that commandment? <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? According to the love of the Lord toward the children of Israel, who look to, an, to other gods and love flagons and wine. So you see the picture. I want you to go find a harlot and fall in love with her because that's what I've done. I love Israel. Israel's my wife, and it's a harlot. <laughs> They turn to other gods. They turn away from me. All right. Well, that's not going to go well. Verse 2. So I bought her to me for 15 pieces of silver and for an, for an omer of barley and an half omer of barley. And I said unto her, thou shalt abide for me many days. Thou shalt not play the harlot. And how do you get a harlot not to play the harlot? It's just it's, it's not going to work. That's good love advice. She cheated on me. You didn't know. I mean, she was a harlot before you got in the relationship with her. You didn't know she was going to do that. <laughs> All right. So you just you, you, you. Anyways, that's not the context. And thou shalt not be be for another man. So will I also be for thee. For the children of Israel shall abide many days. Now, this is very important. All right. Now, now look at this before we read that next verse. Think about our timeline. Babylon. Medo-Persia, Grecia, Rome, um, you have a space of time, and then you have ten kings, and then you have the Lord. 
Sorry to put the Lord all the way over there, but you, you, you get the point. All right, now, at this point, captivity, right? Both Israel, the northern kingdom, is in Assyria. The southern kingdom of Judah is now taken into Babylon. They no longer have, they're not in their own land. You meet a Jew today and you ask him, when was the last time you went to the temple and gave the sacrifices the way the Lord said? He can't. Now let's read the verse. Look at verse 4. For the children of Israel shall abide many days without a king, without a prince, without a sacrifice, and without an image, and without an ephod, and without a teraphim. Afterward shall the children of Israel return and seek the Lord their God, and David their king, and shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. So, so all of this time, until Jesus Christ comes back, nothing. Israel will have no king. All right, so, so Cyrus sends Judah back to Jerusalem in Ezra. Who does he put in charge? Who remembers his name? Huh? Zerubbabel. Now, Zerubbabel is in the lineage of the kings. But what's he called when he gets back to Jerusalem? Governor. He will not be a king. There will be no king in Israel today. Who's in charge of Israel? Well, ultimately, it's the United Nations. (laughs) But... They have a prime minister named Netanyahu. They do not have a king. All right, so, so they, will not, they, they will not get this, this prestige of, of being subject to the lineage of the kings of David until the Lord Jesus Christ comes back and smashes Gentile powers. Right now, they are subject to the Gentiles in every way. If they wanted to go to the temple and give a sacrifice, they would walk into a mosque. <laughs> That's what stands where the temple is supposed to be. There is, no temp- there, is no, there is no temple of God there. There's a mosque to a false god sitting where God's temple is supposed to be. Now, in the tribulation, the, the sacrifices will be restored. And they'll go back to practicing the law of Moses to, to some extent or the best they can until that interaction between them and the Antichrist takes place. Right, so that, that, the sacrifice will come back at that time. But again, that's after this space of time into the tribulation when eventually the ten kings arise and, and <laughs> they get their sacrifices back for a short time, but then they get some real trouble. All right, now go back to Deuteronomy. Uh, excuse me. Let, no, no, no. Let me. Yeah, we should have read this earlier. Uh, this is a cross-reference to Daniel 10. Go back to Deuteronomy 4 and let's look at this real fast. I, I passed it over on accident. So we, we would have read this after, Dan, after reading Daniel 10, 14. Deuteronomy 4, verses 30 and 31. Verse 30. When thou art in tribulation, and all these things are come upon thee, even in the latter days. Okay, now what, what connection did that just make? Latter days 
tribulation. Right? You see that? Who's the tribulation for? Jacob's trouble. Israel. So when someone says, well, I think the church is going through the tribulation. (laughs) Well, I think you're retarded. There's something wrong with your brain. You just haven't looked at this. Somebody told you that and you bought it. You didn't study it. So so the the, the mountain of evidence is overwhelming. It's like you, you have to be willing to be ignorant to believe otherwise. If you if if if, if the word if the words mean anything, all right. So so back to verse thirty. Uh, when thou art in tribulation and all these things are come come upon thee, even in the latter days, if thou turn to the Lord thy God and shalt be obedient to His voice, for the Lord thy God is merci- is a merciful God. He will not forsake thee, neither destroy thee, nor forget thee the the covenant of thy fathers which He sware unto them. So that's again that's what's coming. Ezekiel. 28, excuse me, Ezekiel 38, Ezekiel 38, verses 14 through 16. Therefore, son of man, prophesy and say unto Gog, thus saith the Lord God, in that day when my people Israel dwelleth safely, shalt thou not know it. And thou shalt come from thy place out of the north parts, thou and many people with thee, all of them riding upon horses, a great company and a mighty army. And thou shalt come up against my people of Israel. And as a cloud to cover the land, it shall be in, in, in the latter days. Okay, now, before we finish reading, again, if we're going to take this as it goes, and you're trying to put a timeline together of, of things that are going to happen, right? All right, so the latter day, we have this space of time, which is the church. The latter days would begin here, which is the the tribulation, right? When did that say Gog was going to come after Israel? In the latter days. So if you're going to put the battles between God and Gog and Magog somewhere in the timeline, where would it be? In the latter days. All right, so you have latter days. So far, we have Gog. Be a good name for somebody's son. Gog. 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 <laughs> Get in here. All right. Anyway, all right. So go back. So let's let's finish reading this verse. Go back to verse fourteen. I don't remember where we left off, so we'll just start over. Uh, Therefore, son of man, prophesy and say unto Gog, thus saith the Lord God in that day. Well, what's that day? All right. So in that day, when my people of Israel dwell safely, shalt thou not know it. And thou shalt come forth uh, from thy place out of the north parts, thou and many people with thee, all of them riding upon horses, a great company and a mighty army. And thou shalt come up against my people of Israel as a cloud to cover the land. It shall be in in, in, not around, not before, not after, in the latter days, and I will bring thee against my land that the heathen may know me when I shall be sanctified in the Ogog before their eyes. All right, so that's, that's Gog. Let's look at Jeremiah 49. We'll look at several verses in Jeremiah. 
Jeremiah 49, verse 34. Jeremiah 39, we'll read verses 34 through 39. 49, Jeremiah 49, verses 34 through 39. Jeremiah chapter 49. So we're not, we're not going to define the specific time of Gog. That's a whole other study and, and that battle. But what God said is that they're coming in the latter days. Well, when are the latter days? According to Deuteronomy, the latter days, tribulation. Okay, so, so there's a connection there. That, that, that's generally speaking. So on the timeline, the battle of Gog, or when they come after Israel, is going to be in the latter days. Which would be sometime in the tribulation in that period. All right, we're not, I, I, I don't have my notes with me on the specifics of that. We're just putting out, remember Daniel 2 is, is, a, is, kind, of the gen, is, is kind of the basic timeline of, of things that are going to happen. And so we're going to put these things in their place more basically. And then when we get to the latter chapters, especially chapter 9, chapter 12, then it starts giving numbers and, and weeks and years. And it starts getting very specific. Right, so, so right now we're just putting this together as it sits. Jeremiah 49, verses 34 through 39. The word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah, the prophet, against Elam in the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will break the bow of, of Elam, the chief of their might, and upon Elam will I bring the four winds from the four quarters of heaven, and will scatter them toward the, all, all, all those winds, and there shall be no nation whither the outcasts of Elam shall, shall not come. For I will cause Elam to be dismayed before their enemies and before, before them that seek their life. And I will bring evil upon them, even my fierce anger, saith the Lord. And I will send the sword after them till I have consumed them. And I will set my throne in, in Elam and will destroy from thence the king and the princes, saith the Lord. But it shall come to pass in the latter days that I will bring again the captivity of Elam and the Lord. All right. Now, what we're going to read in the next several passages are, these are important. These are judgments. Number one. Elam. These are all people who, in one way or another, defied Israel or harmed Israel or gave no place to Israel or they did something that upset the Lord with reference to Israel. The first judgment in the latter days, Elam. Next, look at um, Jeremiah 48 and verse 47. Yet will I bring again the captivity of Moab in the latter days, saith the Lord, thus far is the judgment of Moab. Look at chapter 23, verses, we'll read verses 18 through 27. Verse 18. For who hath stood in the counsel of the Lord, and hath perceived and heard his word, 
Who hath marked his word and heard it? Behold, a whirlwind of the Lord is gone forth in fury. Even a grievous whirlwind, it shall fall grievously upon the head of the wicked. The anger of the Lord shall not return until he have executed, until he have performed the thoughts of his heart. In the latter days, you shall consider it perfectly. I have not sent these prophets, yet, yet they ran. I have not spoken to them, yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my, in my counsel and had caused my people to hear my words, then they should have turned, turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their doings. That's one way to know if you should listen to somebody or not. Is it standing against sin? Is it turning people away from evil? Or is it facilitating it? So if you want to know if you should listen to somebody or not and they're, they're not preaching against sin, it's a good chance you shouldn't have anything to do with them. You shouldn't be listening to them. They're going to help facilitate your defiance of God and his word. Uh, that's not somebody you want, to, you want to spend time with. Verse 23, we're going to verse, what did I say, 27. Verse 23, am I a God at hand, saith the Lord, and not a God afar off? Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him, saith the Lord? Do not, do not I fill heaven and earth, saith the Lord? I have heard what the prophets said, that prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. How long shall this be in the heart of the prophets that prophesy lies? Yea, they are prophets of, of the deceit of their own heart. That's not what I want to be. Verse 27, which think to cause my people to forget my name by their dreams, which they tell every man to his neighbor, as their fathers have forgotten uh, uh, my name for Baal. The prophet that hath a dream, let him tell a dream, and he that, hath it, ha, he that hath my word, let him speak my word faithfully. What is the chaff to the, to the wheat, saith the Lord? All right, so in this passage, God's anger will be executed in the latter days, but it's going to be against false prophets, which Jeremiah is full of. God kept telling them one thing. These false prophets would come in and say, don't listen to Jeremiah. He doesn't know what he's talking about. God would never let anything happen to us. Well, it turns out they were wrong. All right, chapter 30. More judgment in the latter days. And so, so something else to, put in, to, to help kind of put the current world in perspective right now. All right, we look around and we say, why does that guy get away with that? How, how can, you know, how can Putin just go bomb another country and God doesn't do anything to him? Blow up apartment buildings and kill people and God doesn't do anything to him. How can Hitler kill six million Jews and, and he, he become, almost becomes the most powerful man on earth? How is all this happening? Well, that, the time of judgment is coming. R- remember... And this is what this is. If you get all this in its proper perspective, it, things really begin to make sense. Okay, God said from here to here, I'm setting up these kingdoms: Babylon, Medo-Persia, Grecia, Rome. I'm setting them up. I'm telling you when they're going to come, how they're going to come. The the weaker is going to take the, the the greater or the stronger, and and they're going to come in this succession. When we get here. The kingdom of heaven suffereth violence. The violent take it by force. 
It's as though God says, my focus is the kingdom of God in this period. It is not political. It is not kings. It's not governmental powers. None of that is my focus right now, which makes sense. God says what you need to worry about is getting souls into the body of Christ through the gospel of Jesus Christ. If I take down their evil government and they die and go to hell, what did that do? So the focus right now is as many people as is, as is feasibly possible, get them into the body of Christ. Teach them the word of God if they will let you. Uh, do everything you can to pour into people and build them up in accord with the word of God. Because the day is coming when that, time, that space of time runs out and it's over. And if you think, things, if you think there are bad things happening in the world right now, Wait till the Lord starts breaking those seals and these 10 kings come up and all those wild creatures start coming out of the bottomless pit. I mean, you, you imagine facing just, just one locust that has the head of a lion and the tail of a scorpion. <laughs> just one. Now imagine a swarm of them running around Uganda looking for you. <laughs> That's what's coming for people. That's what's next when we are gone. So if we don't do what we're supposed to do while we are here, you're setting these people up for what's going to come. All right, now, we can't make them get saved. We can do everything we can to get in their face, make them think about it, make them make a choice, cause them to make a choice, provoke them, make them think about Jesus, see another gospel tract with marijuana on it and, and pick it up and... and I mean, just you have no idea who, who in their right mind thought we're going to go to the we're going to go to the roundabout on Friday, pass out a bunch of John and Romans. And at some point, some man's going to come walking through town where a bunch of bums are rolling marijuana on the back of one of those John and Romans and end up getting saved. You just need to work. You don't need to look for results. You just need to work right now's the time to to break up fallow ground. So uh, water. Plant, do everything you can right now to, do, to, to, to go as far as you are able with getting people into the body of Christ. That's the focus right now. It's not who's going to be the next American president. Are we in an inflation period? Are we not in an inflation period? What's happening? How come God's not doing anything? God is doing something. He's bringing lost souls to Jesus Christ. That's what he's doing. He'll, he'll fix the government eventually. <laughs> Well, that's not his focus right now. That's not, what he's, that's not what he's doing. And so that's not what we should be focused on. It's not what we should be doing. We should be looking after what the Lord has told us to look after. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. All right. Um, now, Numbers 24. Jeremiah 30, verses 23 through 24. <laughs> I just wanted to put you in a moment of tribulation. That's all. Verse 23. Behold, the whirlwind of the Lord goeth forth with fury. Anybody want to be there for that? (laughs) With fury. A continuing whirlwind. Are you getting what's happening? The whirlwind's going forth with fury. Like, oh, man, let's try to ride this out. No, it's continual. (laughs) There is no riding it out. 
That's what people say. I, well, I think we're going to go through the tribulation and then we'll come out of the... Do you know what's happening in the tribulation? A third of the earth died. A third of the people died. A third of the earth died. You think you're not going to be one of those people? <laughs> you're going to sit in a bunker somewhere and eat MREs until, until it's all over? That's, I mean, I don't understand what, what you think is going to be happening. It's, it's total chaos and destruction. It's incredible. That's what's coming. And it's all God's anger being poured out on this earth. Uh, now, I'm not going to be here. <laughs> you can go through the trip. Brother James, our pastor, always says, all these people who think they're going to go through the tribulation, I wish we could let them. Just, <laughs> just try it. <laughs> just go for it. Let us know how it works out. Um, all right, verse 24. The fierce anger of the Lord shall not return. <laughs> well, amen. Until he have done it, and until he have performed the intents of his heart in the latter days, ye shall consider it. This is going to be something for you to think about. <laughs> all right, so, so all that refers to the Lord's judgment, which all relates to the latter days, which all relates to tribulation. the tribulation. All right, so it all, it all ties together. All right, Numbers 24. I'm sorry? Well, it, I, I don't know if I can specifically place um, all of them. We'd have to go back and study the context of all of them, but it's possible these are part of, these give us an in, some insight into the, the judgment of nations with Elam and with Moab. Now, now, what's happening with Elam and Moab is long-standing. This is this goes all the way back to um, from Genesis, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. This whole, that whole time period, and so it's it's long-standing judgment. The Lord said He was going to take care of it, and and He meant it. He's not going back on that. And so, so it, it, it's interesting because this could be part of the the judgment of nations, as as we see laid out in in Matthew seven. And in other places when the Lord deals with the judgment of nations. Now, I don't know that for certain. Um, you know, it just, it's an interesting idea. I, I wouldn't be able to say that definitively. All right, uh, Numbers 24, verses 12 through 19. Verse 12. And Balaam said unto Balak, um, Spake I not also to thy messengers which thou sentest unto me, saying, if Balak would give me his house full of silver and gold, I cannot go beyond the commandment of the Lord. What a, what a bunch of garbage. I mean, this, this, is, this is the modern Christian. Oh, I can only do what the Lord tells me. Oh, weren't you out drinking Saturday night? <laughs> well, I don't see any problem with drinking a little alcohol. Yeah, I'm sure. I, yeah, exactly. I know you don't. That's the problem. It's like, you know, I can only do what the Lord says. You were fornicating last week. What are you talking about? You're a liar. And so that, that's, that, here, here's Balaam building himself up. I can only do what the Lord tells me to do. Oh, you have more money? Okay, let me, let me see what the Lord will say. <laughs> All right, so a prophet for hire. I cannot go beyond the commandment of the Lord to do either good or bad of mine own mind, but what the Lord saith, that will I speak. And now, behold, I go unto my people Come, therefore, and I will advertise thee what this people shall do to thy people in the latter days. That's interesting. <laughs> the Lord tells 
Balaam to tell Balak, um, you're trying to destroy these people, but they're going to do something to you in the latter days. You want me to tell you about it? <laughs> in the latter days when they come, um, verse 16, he has said, which heard the words of God and knew, and knew the knowledge of the Most High, which saw the vision of the Almighty uh, falling into a trance, but having his eyes open. Now, that, that'd be creepy to see. He's fallen into a trance, but his eyes are open. Um, Balaam is an interesting character in the Bible. How he had this relationship with God is, is one of the great mysteries of the Bible. But it's, it's, uh, I've been teaching through the book of Jonah. Uh, when we go out to the, to the um, villages, and it's, there, there's, there's such a tight relationship there. There's so many similarities there between Jonah and Balaam in that you know, the book of Jonah just picks up with the word now. And it, and it indicates, you know, Jonah, when, he, when he's crying out to God, he says, I will return to thy holy temple, which means that at some point he had been there. And, and the word now indicates a prior relationship with God or conversations with God. So, and, and then there are other, I think it's in 2 Kings, Jonah, Jonah prophesies in, in a different context. And so obviously at some point, Jonah had a good relationship with God and was doing what God said. But now here he is running from God, cold and hard and wanting nothing to do with God. Now, Jonah's different in that he, he wasn't after anything. Jonah just didn't want to do what God said. Balaam's trying to get money. <laughs> but who's Balaam? How's he able to go and talk to God and have this relationship with God where he speaks with God? Hey, where, where did this come from? Uh, there's no indication he's a, he's a Jew or, or you know, like how, how does he have this special place and this special privilege with, with God? And, and so it's just interesting. The first time I ever taught Sunday school at the Bible Baptist Church, my home church, I had to teach in 40 minutes, numbers 23, 24, and 25. <laughs> my first time ever <laughs> teaching Sunday school. You talk about pressure. <clears throat> what do you mean to do with that? <laughs> so, but we got it done. Um, all right, let's go to Deuteronomy 4. Um, so so the, the, the context of Numbers 24 is the Lord Jesus Christ bringing this judgment on, on, on all these nations that, that, you know, number in the book of Numbers, Israel's trying to get to the promised land or they have so angered God, they're now wandering in the wilderness. And God's trying to organize them. He's... he's, he's appointing the heads of their nations. He, he assembles them by their tribal names, and, and he's given them all this organization, and all these countries are defying them. They try to go through Moab, and Moab says, no, you're not coming through here. They, you know, they try to go through Elam, and Elam says, no, you can't come through here. And then they come into confrontation with, with Balak, and Balak is like, i got to find somebody to curse these people. They're too mighty. They're too big. you got about two million people that want to come marching through my land, and and no, I'm not going to have that. I want, I want somebody to, to, to ruin them. Well, he's going to pay for that. When God said, if Abraham is going to be a blessing to all nations, there is a physical context to that and a spiritual context to that. All right. Through, as, a, as a person of faith, not the person of faith that you meet out on the street. who says, I'm a person of faith. That doesn't mean anything. But as a person who has faith in Jesus Christ... You, you are a child of Abraham. You, you are made part of that 
those promises made to, to Abraham. Now, not the land and not the physical promises, the spiritual promises. But when God said to Abraham, the nations who, who curse you, I'm going to curse them. God meant that. And so all this trouble these people are going to have, generations later, they don't even know who Balak is anymore. <laughs> but God's going to deal with it. So, um, so that's what's coming for them. Uh, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 4, verses 25 through 31. Verse 25, when thou shalt beget children and children's children, and ye shall have remained long in the land, and shall corrupt yourselves and make a graven image or the likeness of anything, and shall do evil in the sight of the Lord thy God to provoke him to anger. Did Israel do that? That's exactly what they did. Verse 26, I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day. It's not like, you know, if we call a witness and then they disappear. <laughs> it's heaven and earth. <laughs> you can, that's not going anywhere until God himself gets rid of it. So God will call them to testify of what they witnessed against them. And then he's going to burn the heaven and the earth up and create a new heaven and a new earth and start all over. So that'll be interesting to see. Um, back to verse 26. That you shall soon utterly perish. From off the land whereunto you go over Jordan to possess it, you shall not prolong your days upon it, but shall utterly be destroyed. That sound familiar? You're going into captivity. I'm going to burn your temple and your city to the ground. That's exactly what he did with Jerusalem. He burned it to the ground. Verse 27, and the Lord God shall scatter you. We already read that. No, and the Lord God shall scatter you among the nations. And ye shall be left few in number among the heathen, whither the Lord shall lead you. And there ye shall serve gods and work of men's hands, wood and stone, which neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. But if from, then- but, but if from thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find him, if thou seek him with all thy heart and with all thy soul. All right, so th- this, is, this is the Lord promising if you defy me, I'm, I'm going to send you away. I'm going to destroy you. And, and I don't know what the Lord means in, in some of these verses when he says, if you will turn back and if you will seek me, is that the entire nation? Is that every single person? We're reading the book of Daniel, and so far we have four people. And that's it. We read in, in Daniel 1, and Daniel said, Daniel said, I'm not going to eat the king's meat, but, but the other children are. Which seems to indicate the rest of the captives who were with him, at least at the time. Remember, he was part of that first wave. They ate the king's meat. They didn't care. Right, so you had four people out of however many Nebuchadnezzar took in, that first, in those first waves of captives. You had Ezekiel come along. Okay, so there's five. That's four years later. <laughs> Who else went? Um, I mean, Jeremiah didn't go to Babylon, but he was still around in the first part of the captivity. He chose to remain in, in the land. And so you, there, at best, you have six people at, so far. Is that good enough for God to say? Uh, 
you've turned back to me? It doesn't seem so. Because everything, everything points to them returning to God in the latter days. You're going to see some terms that we, we don't have time to really discuss now. But it says that um, Israel will be born in a day. In the latter days. It's talking, you know, that's, that's later on. That's down the line. And that's all uh, pointing to their returning back to the Lord. So... It's coming. I just, you know, it's interesting to try and see what's the full context. Is it the whole nation? Is it the majority? Is it most? Is it, you know, just a few? Because <laughs> all through the Bible, there's only a remnant who actually follow after God. In every case, it's always a small remnant. It's rarely the, 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 the larger crowd of people who even belong to the Lord himself already. It's not, it's not, we're not talking about the world as a whole. Even within Israel, there's just a remnant. Within the church, people trust in the Lord and then they disappear. Thanks, got my ticket to heaven. I'll see you when we get there. I don't care about anything in between. And you have just a tiny number of people, comparatively speaking, who actually care, study their Bible, and try and live a Christian life. And so it's always, it's always a small remnant. All right, Deuteronomy 31. Let's, let's try to f- finish this up before the break. What's next? The last days. Yeah, we can look at it. We, we should be able to get all that before the break. Um, Deuteronomy 31, verses 24 through 29. And it came to pass when Moses had made an end of writing the words of this law in a book until they were finished that Moses commanded the Levites which bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord saying take this book of the law and put it in the side of the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God that it may be there for a witness against thee for I know thy rebellion amen and thy stiff neck Behold, while I am yet alive with you this day, ye have been rebellious against the Lord. And how much more after my death? Like, if you would do what you did while I'm here, who knows what you're going to do when I'm gone? Again, that's another principle for ministry. If you think about how far you go in disobedience, whatever that is, whatever your level of disobedience is well the next generation is going to go further if you don't correct that whatever you say is acceptable the next generation is going to move that line further down the road we came to Masaka the first time in 2016 I don't think we saw as far as I can remember a single woman wearing pants I mean there may have been a few but there was they were so minor in number that it's hard to imagine now <laughs> They don't just wear pants. It looks like they're spray painted on. It's like, did, I mean, what happened? How'd you even get into that? Are those spandex? They look like blue jeans, but they, I don't understand what's happening. Ugandan women, even, even culturally speaking, used to have an idea that women dressed like women and that, and that they were not supposed to be provocative. And so that's, that's fading quickly. It's going away rapidly. And so if this generation thinks that's okay, wait till you see the next generation. 
So that, that's, that's, all, that's, a, that's a, a good principle to follow. When you're trying to make a decision, as a Christian, where am I going to draw the line? What you need to think about is, if I draw the line here, where will the next generation draw the line? Because that's, that's what's going to happen. They're going to look at where you, where you stood, and they're going to say, well, we can come a little further, or we can come a lot further. <laughs> and so you want to be very careful about those things. Um, verse 28, gather unto me all the elders of your tribes and your, and your officers, that I may speak these words in their ears and call heaven and earth to record against them. For I know that after my death, you will utterly corrupt yourselves and turn aside from the way which I have commanded you, and evil will befall you in the latter days, because you will do evil in the sight of the Lord and provoke him to anger through the work of your hands. And Moses spake in the ears of all the congregation of Israel words of this song <laughs> until they were ended. I don't just sing that song. You're a bunch of filthy, rebellious people. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good song, Moses. <laughs> yeah, God's going to get you. Isaiah chapter 2. Yeah, you're filthy, rebellious, and you're not going to get away with it. That'd be a great song. Isaiah chapter 2. Let's read verses 1 through 5. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amoz, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem, and it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow into it. What's that describing? Hmm? Yeah. When all the nations come and bow before the Lord and bring gifts and, and, and honor the Lord. Absolutely. Um, verse 3, And many people shall go and, and say, Come ye, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. Jacob is who? Israel. Israel. To the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us his ways, and we will walk in, the, in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, and he shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning, pruning hooks. Uh, nation shall not lift up sword against nation. Now, again, what's happening in the days of John the Baptist? The kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. Not when Jesus Christ is reigning. No more fighting. He will, he's going to rule with a rod of iron. He will put you down. You can raise up if you want to. That rod is going to hurt. <laughs> and all you got is a pruning hook <laughs> to fight back. Your swords are gone. So, so you might as well just settle down and trust the Lord. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come ye and let us walk in the light of of the Lord. That'd be the good thing to do. All right. Just, just do that. Um, all right. Then the last one is Micah one or four, Micah four verses one through five. It repeats that, uh, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established. Um, so that, that's, that's, that's the old Testament, um, version of, of this. That's the latter days. 
And as you saw, the last one in Isaiah was the last days. Right? They're, they're intimately connected. They're, they're essentially the same thing um, for the most part. Now, in order to refer to a period of time as the last days, all right, now this is, I want you to get this, so listen carefully. That period must be part of a larger era with a set number of days. All right, so that, what, what that is saying is that if you take a large amount of time, right, our timeline here, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Grecia, Rome, space of time, tribulation, ten kings, the Lord Jesus Christ coming back. The last days is, is the end of this. So, so it's referring to a time period at the end of this larger time period. Does that make sense? All right. So, so that's, that's what it's pointing us to. There is no set number of days designated for the church age. So that's not, we're not, we're not, we don't try to time this. That's why everybody who comes out and says the rapture is, <laughs> has been wrong. And, you know, there was a, a Harold Camping. Do you know Harold Camping? Harold Camping is a, um, a crazy person who calls himself a pastor <laughs> in America. He has a huge, he used to have, I don't know if he still does, he used to have a huge radio show. And uh, at least twice, maybe three times, he's predicted the Lord's return. And all three, all two or three times, people listen to him. Every time. Why would you, you shouldn't listen to him the first time, but a second time? Like, I know he was wrong the first time and we lost everything we owned. But maybe this time he got it right. <laughs> Why don't you just, let's say you do believe this man knows when Jesus is coming back. Keep your stuff. You don't need it when you leave. Just keep it. And if he's wrong, you still got your stuff. And if he's, if he's right, you don't need it anyway, so you're going to go away. People sold everything. Some of them were sitting on the rooftop waiting for the Lord to come back. <laughs> A friend of mine, uh, his name, a friend of mine who's a pastor in, um, in one of the Dakotas, North Dakota or South Dakota, they're about the same. They're cold, extremely cold. Like in, 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 the, in the Dakotas in America, when it snows, like it, it snows higher than the door of your house. <laughs> like it's, you have to dig a tunnel out to get out to your... Anyway, so uh, he's a pastor there. He was in New York at the time. When all this was happening, this was the last time he did it that I, I know of was uh, around 2000, uh, 2010, somewhere around there, 2008, 2009, 2010. So he, my friend, the pastor, called that guy's radio show and they answered his call live on the radio. And he said, you know, I, you know, just just call into, you know, ask you a few questions about the coming of the Lord. And the guy was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'd love to talk about that. How can I help you? You say, well, I was just wondering, since you're leaving, would you go ahead and turn all your money, your airtime, your radio station, your equipment, your property, just sign it all over to me the day after the Lord's supposed to come. And since you don't need it, I'll just take it all. And the guy went, click. <laughs> like, why did, If you're so confident, why do you need to hang on to it? Just sign it over to somebody who will make good use of it. Since they don't believe you, they're probably not going. So they'll just stay here and keep, keep using it. And, of course, it didn't work out that way. 
Um, we don't know when the church age is coming to an end. We know it's rapidly coming to an end. But, but this space of time, the church age between Rome and the Ten Kings, or before the start of the trip, you know, between Rome and the rapture, is, is the death of Christ and the rapture. When, according to Hebrews 9, what is the official start of the New Testament? The death of the testator, which is Jesus Christ. All right, so from that point until the rapture, we have no idea how long that's going to last. No clue. And it's not in any of God's timelines. All right, so, so the tribulation, we've got very detailed, specific times and, and numbers of days and numbers of years and, and all these ideas. Here you have from Babylon to Rome. So, you know... We can, we can look back now and we can give you a, a specific date and time, pretty, pretty accurate, from Babylon, from, from Nebuchadnezzar, all the way to, to Jesus Christ died on the cross in Rome. Those are specific dates. Anything that happens here, we have no timeline. God is in no hurry. We don't know when it's coming to an end. It, it, it could come immediately or it could be... A hundred years down the road, it could be a thousand years down the road. We don't know. Right? So when someone starts talking to you about specific dates and times, I, I, I watched a, like a three-hour YouTube video. I would have done better to go cut my toes off <laughs> of two men sitting and proving to you in the most ridiculous way you will ever see in your life that the, the date and time when Jesus is coming back. This is what they say. They said, well, you can't date the tribulation or the second coming. But they, they said, but you can date the rapture. It's like, and they're going to put it in a book and people are going to buy it. They're not going to read it, but they're going to buy it. And the people will make money off of it. All right. So just, just when somebody starts talking to you about time, the Time when Jesus is coming, time when, when the rapture is, is going gonna, is gonna to take place. Just thank you. Have a nice day. Or, 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 or challenge them. What do you think that is? Are you going to be around at that time? Why don't you, let's write up a contract right now. Everything you own, you turn it over to me the day after that. You'll be gone. I mean, Jesus is coming back to get you. So, so what does it matter? I guarantee you they're not going to be willing to make up that contract. Because we don't know. There is no indication in the Bible when Jesus is coming to get the church. He's coming. We know it's quickly according to the Lord, but what's quick according to the Lord? <laughs> I mean, 10,000 years might pass by and the Lord's like, oh, it's only been five minutes. <laughs> you know, so it's, it, that's, you know, we, we, we get all bent out of shape about the, the, the times in terms of the working of the Lord. What, how do you time eternity? You don't. Uh, that that, that, that uh, verse in Amazing Grace, when we've been there 10,000 years, that's not part of the song. That, that, whoever uh, put the, the hymn together added that. That's not originally part of the song. Because how can you be in eternity for 10,000 years? It's eternity. You, you don't, you don't, you're not eternal for a certain amount of time. It's eternity. The, 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 it's two completely different concepts. And so, and so anyways, and the whole point is, 
don't try to time the rapture or the second coming. You can, t- you can try and figure out the timing, the length of time of the tribulation. You can try and figure out the length of time from Babylon to Rome. That, all that's fine. But what's the time of the church age? We don't know. All right, there are a set number of days for God's prophetic dealing with the nation of Israel. We're not going to look at this in detail. I'll give you a glimpse of it. Look at Daniel 9 real quick. And you'll see, again, how, how some of this is laid out. And Daniel 9 starts to get very detailed. Daniel 9, verses 24 through 27 now, now, with everything that we've looked at so far, I want you to think about the words that are being spoken here and, and, and lay it out in your own mind exactly what the Lord is saying here. Okay? And then we'll, we'll talk about it briefly, but then we need to move on. It, it's, this is for next semester. Um, verses 24 through 27. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. To finish the transgression. Now, who are, who are thy people? Israel, the Jews. Good. Benjamin's quick on that one. Uh, and upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins. All right. Let me ask you. If you're saved, raise your hand. Are your transgressions finished? Are your sins ended? They have been paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. Not the Jews. Not Israel. Now, if a Jew trusted in Jesus Christ, he joined us. But if he hasn't, he's still Israel. And his sins have not been brought to an end. Their transgressions have not been dealt with. That's the purpose of the time of Jacob's trouble. That's what God's telling you here. This is why 70 weeks are determined upon thy people. It's for this. Well, why would the church go through that? Our sins are paid for. Our sins are done. It's over. All right. So, yes, sir. Now, God is dealing with the Jews as a nation. Mm-hmm. So, what of the individual Jews that die when they are saved? What do you mean by saved? Saved in the aspect of their souls being saved. Well, so it, it depends on what you mean, because souls being saved is a is a New Testament that, that is New Testament church terminology. So you'd have to explain to me what you mean by an Old Testament Jew being saved. Is this what I'm asking? Right. So the the only thing we can point to is Hebrews eleven. They either die in faith and they go to paradise. Or they, they die having rejected their God and they go to hell. The, the, the only third option at this point in time is they, they die having trusted in Jesus Christ and they, they become part of the body of Christ. All right. Does that make sense? All right. So <clears throat> and to make reconciliation for iniquity. Have you been reconciled? OK, then who needs to make reconciliation for you? It's done. Jesus did that. He died on the cross so that you could be reconciled. Right? So, so all that is pointing to the Jews. Uh, and to bring in everlasting righteousness. Have you received the righteousness of Christ? Yes. 
All right, so then that's not you. And to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Now, here's the timeline. Listen to this carefully. Verse 25. Know therefore and understand that from... All right, so do you see? We want to look at the terminology as the Lord gives it to us. Verse 24 tells us why he's doing this and to whom he's doing it. It's the, the tribulation is the time of Jacob's trouble. It's about... Uh, God's talking. Who, who's the person the angel is talking to? Daniel. Who are Daniel's people? Jews. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people. So that's talking about Daniel and his people. Now the Lord's going to get into the timeline. And the first thing he says is from. All right. Now let's, let's continue to lay out the facts. Then after we lay out the facts... We'll try to make sense of it. Okay, so back to verse 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem. When would that be? This took place under Artaxerxes in the book of Nehemiah. Sorry? No, Artaxerxes was, was the king in the book of Nehemiah. All right, so Cyrus gave the initial decree, go back and rebuild the temple. He didn't say go back and rebuild Jerusalem. Now, when Nehemiah asked to go back, the king Artaxerxes at that time said, go back and rebuild the city, the walls. All right, so, so if we... If you want to make the argument that it was under Cyrus, fine. I mean, it's no problem. But if you want to be detailed, the the, the command that matches what we just read in Daniel 25 is found in the book of Nehemiah. Cyrus said, go back and rebuild the temple. And then they get back and they didn't rebuild the temple. (laughs) They built their own houses. And so the Lord raises up Haggai and and Zechariah and says, what are you doing? You know what they said? Well, the time has not come. For what? The time has not come. Cyrus gave you money. He gave you everything you needed and sent you back and said, rebuild the temple. Well, we're just looking for the right time. (laughs) Well, I noticed you built your houses. It made them nice. But you couldn't get the Lord's house built. And so that didn't didn't go so well. All right, so let's go back to to the time. Verse 25. Uh, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment, to restore and rebuild Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the Prince. Unto Messiah. Who is this? Jesus Christ. So what is this a reference to? The first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Unto the coming, so from the time to rebuild and restore, unto the coming of Messiah the Prince, who was Israel waiting to come? The Messiah. What did they constantly call Jesus in in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Messiah or Christ, which is interpreted Messias. Or Luganda. (laughs) All right, back to verse... Back to verse 25. Let's try to finish this quickly before the break. 
Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the prince, shall be seven weeks. All right, now we don't have time to get into the, the profi- the, all the prophetic information related to all this. But we'll, 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 we'll get to that. I don't, I don't want to open that door. It might cause confusion. Let's just stay on track with this. We'll, we'll try to follow the timeline. All right, so, so what it's saying, from this time to this time is seven weeks. All right? This is seven prophetic weeks. Right, so it's not, an, it's not like it was... Seven seven day periods. This is this is prophetic. So this is gonna this is gonna this is gonna amount to several years. But we'll we'll get to that right now. Just just stay with me. Let's just stick to this wording, the terminology, and we'll get to the prophetic part later. Okay. All right. I, I don't want to venture down that road. We don't have time, anyways. Um, all right. So. Uh, back to 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and three score and two weeks. Seven weeks and three score and two weeks. Who knows what this equals out to in years? We'll talk about it later. I don't want to, but let's just, let's just keep going. We don't, we don't have time. All right. So shall be seven weeks and so stay with me and three score and two weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall, even in troublous times. All right. So that perfectly describes what was happening in Nehemiah's day. All that trouble while they're trying to rebuild the city. All right. Everybody with me so far? Just with just looking at the wording. All right. Now, verse 26. And after three score and two weeks. Okay. We're, we're following the timeline that the Bible lays out. Just, just looking at the words. After. All right. Verse 26. Um, and after three score and two weeks shall Messiah the prince be cut off. What is that a reference to? So three score and two weeks cut off. Jesus Christ died on the cross. All right, now, let's keep going. Um, Where was I? Verse 20. All right. And after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And the end thereof shall be with a flood. And unto the end of of the war, desolations are determined. Now, so what happened not long after this, so this all happened under who? Rome. What did Rome do to the temple? They destroyed that temple. All right? 
Now it's going to, it's going to, it's all going to come together. You'll see next semester. And even as we progress in this semester right now, I'm just introducing you to the terms and the ideas, but, but he said 70 weeks are determined, right? 69 weeks we're going to see have passed. One week remains. How many days are in a week? Seven. All right. These are this week is a prophetic week. Okay. So that that seven days, which equals seven years of tribulation. All right. So that that it all we'll, we'll discuss that in detail next semester. I just wanted you when we're talking about that that the the, the time frame, Babylon to Rome, you can number that. Tribulation period. We've got incredible detail. We got incredible detail from the time they were given the commandment to rebuild Jerusalem to the coming of Jesus Christ, to Jesus Christ dying on the cross. Then after that, the temple is destroyed. The kingdom of heaven suffered violence. The violent take it by force. And we're in the church age, which you can't number. You just do what you're supposed to do during that time period and be faithful to the Lord until he comes. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can learn more about our ministry by visiting www.plenteousredemption.com. You can hear more Plenteous Redemption podcast audio at www.plenteousredemption.media. Please comment below if this podcast has been a help to you. Also, inform us of future topics that would interest you. Thank you again for listening to the Plenteous Redemption podcast.